2023 is the year of AI, but some companies have been innovating with AI and healthcare for the last decade. Today's guest is Joan Butters, CEO and co-founder of Exilus. We'll be speaking about integrating AI solutions into healthcare operations and taking friction out of the payer-provider relationship. Hi, everyone. I'm David Williams, president of strategy consulting firm Health Business Group and host of the Health Biz Podcast, a weekly show where I interview top healthcare leaders about their lives and careers. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. Joan, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast. Oh, thank you so very much. I'm glad to be here. We're going to talk a lot about what you're uh, doing uh, with your current company, but I want to wind the clock back, if you don't mind, and hear a little bit about your background, your upbringing. You know, what was your childhood like? Any childhood influences that have stuck with you in your career? Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. Interesting. You know, I, I have a pretty boring childhood. Uh, I certainly didn't uh, grow up thinking I was going to run a multi-million company, let alone one in healthcare. Um, I think, you know, but early in my career, I was focused on technology and always curious about how we could do things better through the use of technology. I think healthcare became a byproduct of kind of, of my exploration in that space. Uh, I, I, I came to a quick realization that data and technology could really have a, a material impact on the industry. You know, and I, I think that's affirmed by being here in Nashville. Uh, certainly yeah. there's over 900 healthcare companies that operate here. Uh, and so I think, you know, between you know, just the, the fact that I, Found myself here in Nashville, uh, worked for a startup in 1996 and, and worked my way through. Um, that organization really did um, help solidify that technology can do better. I do have to give a nod to my dad. Um, he, throughout my childhood, he did prescribe to the give it 100% or don't do it at all rule. Uh, yeah. And I think that rule is the driving force behind everything I do professionally and personally. Uh, that makes good sense. Now, you, you make it all sound like it comes together, you know, Nashville, healthcare, you have this realization. And I think it's good to have that realization early in your career because the alternative is just to bang your head against the wall intentionally, right. you know, for, for a while. But I, I feel you studied international relations in school. Yeah. What was, what, that was not necessarily healthcare, I'm guessing. No, not at all. Far from it, right? Um, and interestingly enough, um, I originally pursued a double major in accounting and computer science. Uh, so that, that is started off as a freshman with those, that course curriculum. Um, interest, you know, good thing those courses are coming in handy now. No kidding, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but, you know, international relations was a passion for me. Um, much like today, as I lead a company solving problems in healthcare, yeah, it was a bit ambitious, but I wanted to have a part in solving the world's problems, uh, in particular, the empowerment of women um, in third world countries. Uh, so I guess it's it's somewhat fitting now that I am a female CEO, um, somewhat inspired by the women that I've studied. No, it makes it makes good sense. Well, among the women in my life, my mother-in-law, when I first met her and I told her I'd studied economics, she says, oh, that's for people who can't get into accounting. So <laughs> anyway, she would have been more impressed with you than she was with me, I'll just say that. I, I love my <laughs> I, I love my numbers for sure. <laughs> so what was so what was the startup in 96? Yeah, thanks for that. So startup in 96 was AIM Healthcare. Um, and uh, again, uh, my, I have a, uh, my path took me here to Nashville, again, not intended for healthcare, but met up with um, who is now my co-founder and chairman, uh, Jim Soar, who was the founder of AIM Healthcare. That was my first foray, foray into healthcare. Um, little unknown fact, um, I started 
I, I can't figure out what I want to be, right? I started at AIM as an accounting clerk, uh, answered a small little ad in the newspaper, and uh, started with AIM. At that point, they had about 20 employees. Uh, we were, uh, AIM was a company that was involved in cost containment services. Um, uh, how I got into technology and healthcare was at AIM. Uh, Jim Soar came back from a road trip one day, and, and for those of you that remember, floppy disks, threw a floppy disk on my desk and said, hey, the customer that I'm working with thinks that there is some payment anomalies in this file. Can you go find them? And I'm like, okay, I don't know anything about healthcare. I don't know, all I know is numbers and, and certainly, and I can, I can uh, pivot a mean Excel file. Um, and so that became the birth of data mining for our AIM, for the company AIM that I worked with. And then that grew to about a $60 million um, uh, vertical within AIM. And then ultimately we sold to Optum. Um, I, I worked with, I stayed with Optum for, I think, three years before I decided to, to leave um, in 20, end of 2012, early 2013, and found Exilus again uh, with my former CEO and uh, Jim Sorn co-founder. Nice. Well, you can yeah. tell sometimes the era by talking about the technology, as, as you're saying, so like a floppy disk. So I, I came in just as they were going from the eight-inch floppies to the five-and-a-quarter-inch. Right. And then they had the three and a half inch disc and people used to call it a floppy. And the people that got in there, it's like, this thing is rigid. Like, why is it, why were you calling it a floppy disc? You know, right. it didn't make any sense, but uh, <laughs> it sounds like you're about the five and a quarter era yeah. uh, that was there. And as I remember, AIM was focusing, it was like American image management, something like that. It was no. American imaging. Nope. Wrong one. No. Asset, asset investment manager. Asset investment uh, management. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. We did often get confused with that. Yeah. All right, yeah. well, I'm glad I made brought that up so as not to uh, not to confuse it. Yeah, no, it was it was fun. It was a it was a, a great organization, uh, fantastic culture. I took a lot of what I learned at AIM and now apply it to what I do today at Exilus. All you know, a lot of um, what made AIM successful is what's making Exilus successful in terms of how we treat our customers. We are probably we we over index on making sure that our customers are delighted and happy, and I think that's a, a, something I learned. Uh, from my time at AIM and continue with that here at Exilus as well. Got it. So when you were at AIM and then it you know became part of a bigger organization, and then what what need did you see in terms of you know why you know why do you need Excellus when you have you know other organizations? What was what was the additional reason to start that up? Yeah. So uh, we'll get into this in a little bit, but the genesis of Exilus was not necessarily data and technology. Um, it was around providing. Um, a service to our hospital customers. Uh, back in 2012-13, um, there were a lot of owner. The, 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 there were audits that um, were being performed on behalf of CMS, and hospitals just couldn't keep up with the volumes of audits that were happening. And so we started off Exilus as a service to help provide people resources to to solve for that problem. Um, uh, we um, like for those of you that are listening that um, have a business premise, don't be afraid to pivot um, because we had to pivot mid-year of 2013. Uh, the government the, the government decided to put a pause on those audits, and so whatever you know, our original business premise was somewhat non 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 relatable anymore. Um, yeah. And so, but what we did learn through that, um, the work that we did early on in Exilus was that uh, decisions 
were made not data-driven decisions, lack of technology, uh, the, the, a very revenue-sensitive function within the hospital was being underserved um, be, and not being identified as, as needing tools and technology to help solve for some of their problems. So that's where we, you know, we said, hey, what if uh, we can solve for that subjectivity and decision-making, solve for the manual work that the, the hospitals are doing, solve for the reduction in touch points um, by having the technology be at the front end of the process as opposed to the back end of the process. And so all those learnings that we um, gathered from our time during with the short bit of time we did during services, we took and, and became the foundation of what we provide today for our healthcare uh, uh, customers. So it makes sense to me to say, hey, you're doing something in service, you're, you're adding people, even at the time it's not so easy to you know, hire people and train them up and so on. So sure, technology, but that doesn't always work out so well. Was it clear, I mean, it's clear that what you wanted to do, but was it clear that there was technology that would enable you to do it or how much of inventing did you have to do? I had to do a lot of inventing. Um, so that's a great question, David. Yeah, we did a lot of inventing and a lot of um, internal prototyping and a lot of, um, you know, reaching out to our customers to ask them what their problems were and how could we solve for that. Um, it, it was it was a lot of fun in the early days to you know sit across from a customer and say, here's what we're thinking. And for them to come back to us and say, well, gosh, we've been, that's something that I've had on my um, uh, wish list, but nobody's ever been able to do it. And so it was very satisfying in those very early days to be able to say, Hey, we've thought about this. Can you affirm? Can you, can you, can you, you know, what do you also believe that technology can solve the problems? And we went out to the market and talked about that. It was, uh, it was, it was exciting to hear that they had the same sort of technology um, uh, thoughts in mind as well. I want to go back to the idea about the the startup. You know, you were joined AIM when it was a startup, not yeah. in a senior role. But were there things that you learned from the, you know, the early growth of, of AIM that you've applied, uh, you know, in starting your own company? Or are there, you know, lessons learned uh, from that? Well, sure. And I think it goes back to um, execution. Um, in fact, if you ever have a chance to talk to our co-founder, it's always, how do you get it done, right? And that, yeah. not let bureaucracy be the, the enemy of, of progress. And so it was, it, you know, it's always about the, the art of the possible um, and, and being able to say, let's not think about why it can't be done, but let's think about how it can be done and change the narrative. And we do that today at Exilus as well as to tell, don't tell me why we can't do it. Tell me why we can do it and let's solve for it that way. So I think it was just that, that we, even at AIM, we started a company that was doing something that had never been done before, and there was never a question in our mind that we could do it. And similarly at Exilus, it's, we, there's problems to solve. How do you solve that in a way that has a material impact on how things operate? I've seen in your positioning, you talk about tackling some of the, the challenges or frictions between payers and providers. And I'm wondering what, first of all, what you would identify as those challenges or frictions, and then how do you tackle them? Cool. How much time do you have, David? <laughs> <laughs> I've got time. If people could listen, if, you know, they could listen on fast speed if they, if they want. It's, uh, yeah. it's just sort of the nature of it that these are just adverse. It's like, how do you fix frictions between uh, 
you know, defense attorneys and the plaintiffs, you know, it's yeah, like- uh, Absolutely. I, I think the challenge is, there's a lot of challenges. I think there's, and it's getting better. Um, I've attended a lot of conferences of late um, that where there is, there is more identification and more alignment between payers and providers that something's got to change. And so that's very encouraging to know that people, that payers and providers are realizing that things need to be done differently. However, there's a lot, there, there still is friction. There's mistrust. There's a concept of a zero-sum game, and I think that that payers and providers, you know, if we're going to solve for these challenges, and and I think that the administrative challenges between payers and providers are probably the most most difficult. Um, a, you've got people doing the same things that they've always done it the same way. Um, there is differences in how people make decisions. They don't have a common framework to make those decisions, and this is kind of where we come in, because at the end of the day, we're we're enabling more um, clean decisions, seamless decisions, all through artificial intelligence. And it, it's, it's really exciting. I like to think about um, how AI becomes this, and I used this before, this dispassionate mediator, right? It's not meant to be an end-all to be-all, but it, it helps call out the information that's going to help make uh, decisions more align between payers and providers. And it's somewhat somewhat simple, right? Sometimes when payers and providers are trying to make a decision, they're using two different sets of information. And so by just by the framework that we've provided <clears throat> allows for those payers and providers to see what's going on with that patient real time and have an alignment on the decisions that need to be made based on that information. So I think that goes back to maybe another concept of like a single source of truth. Sure. And it's like if we're may, we may still have a different view about right. the right what we want to do with it, but if you think that I you know went to the hospital five times and I think I went twice, they're never going to solve anything. Yeah, or if or a better example would be if I think the person is needs to be treated in in a less a, a, a lower level of care versus a higher level of care. How does AI help make that decision for them, or at least have a dialogue? Yeah. At least start the dialogue between the two in a different way as opposed to I'm looking at this information, you're looking at that information. Here's what we can look at together to help make those decisions. And I think that's really helping to, to address some of the challenges that payers and providers are having on uh, that single source of truth, that trust that, that um, I can use data in a different way to help drive some decisions. So some providers have also become payers, like some yeah. health systems that started, you know, Medicare uh, advantage plans and, and some payers like Optum, United have become providers as well. Is it the same dynamic even within those organizations or what's, what's, it, what's it like? Yeah, you would think, yeah, you would think that they, there would have, they would have better alignment. I think it's, it's still at the end of the day and, um, both entities, even though there's a, 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 a an umbrella organization, both entities are still have, having to make the same decisions about how do I, financial decisions, right? And so as long as that becomes the, 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 the what's driving people, you're still going to have that friction. Um, and, and I think the other thing, David, that, that is um, probably prevalent even in the, in the provider-owned health plans is you would think that they're they are sharing the same data, but they're not, right? And I think that's where we come in is to help provide that shared uh, look at a patient's condition um, differently than people have been able to do before. Now, who would be the people that are your, your customers or, or users? Like who whose problem do you go and solve and whose budget you know, does that come from? 
Yeah, so it, it varies, right? But for the most part, in a, a both our, um, so this is interesting phrase, but it's clinically um, driven financial operations, right? And so, again, not to get too far in the weeds, but the, both organizations, payers and providers, have um, a function within their organizations called utilization management. And they their objective is, is to make a determination as to where whether a patient needs to be um, admitted to the hospital or not. And it's not necessarily always a clinical decision. It's a decision that drives revenue. And so both of those are trying to figure out how do they make a decision in the way that is um, helps benefit both the payer and the provider um, uniquely. And so what um, we are helping to connect those dots between those two functions, um, both connect the dots between those two functions and then streamline that process between those two functions as an example. Um, uh, and certainly later, there's other places and, and operations that are very similar in their decision-making where they're making decisions in a vacuum, um, maybe, maybe length of stay, where that patient should be discharged. Our goal is to apply artificial intelligence um, to those other friction points between people making decisions about um, the patient's journey. So there was a time, you know, when people were talking about AI and getting excited about it, I'm talking maybe 10 years ago or so, and then there was some, you know, progress, but also you start to hear people rolling their eyes, I use AI, and then, you know, now this, just in 2023, you start to hear about, you know, generative AI is becoming kind of over on, on the scene. What has it been like to be an early adopter of AI, and particularly in healthcare? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So, like you said, um, we AI was a part of Exilus's solution before AI was cool. Um, that was you know ten years ago, um, and it was fun being ahead of the market. But like you said, in healthcare, it was not easy. Uh, we had to um, overcome some uh, perceptions, misperceptions about what AI was, is, and what it isn't. Uh, that still exists today. I think two of the uh, predominant headwinds that we had to overcome was AI. On one side of the extreme, AI was going to be the easy button. Oh, gosh, all I got to do is make a decision based on what AI is telling me as opposed to, nope, you're still going to need to use some clinical judgment in making those decisions. And then on the other side of it was the fear that AI is, and we hear this now with generative AI, that AI was going to replace clinicians. And, you know, so those are, that you're trying to, as you're trying to sell and trying to, to make inroads into healthcare, you've got those two somewhat opposing um, and sometimes common objections within the, the people to, to which you're um, offering your solution. So we had to educate our clients about the, the, the and the market uh, about the role of AI. Um, and again, it's, it wasn't, it, it, what, it's not either, it's not the easy button, nor, nor will it replace uh, the work that needs to get done. But as I said before, it's that dispassionate mediator that helps provide alignment and, and clarity um, on in a pathway for decisions to be made. In starting late 2022, but in 2023 in particular, there's been a big emphasis on generative AI, especially since people have been able to experience it easily for themselves yeah. in a way they couldn't do before. I think that made a different, a big, yep. made a big difference. How do you think generative AI will impact healthcare? Yep. So you're right. Genie's out of the bottle on generative AI. <laughs> if you, you can't not read a healthcare publication without reading it today, any sort of publication without reading, uh, um, hearing about generative AI. You know, I think that um, 
there's a lot of promise on generative AI, but um, I think importantly, and a lot of the things that we're trying to solve for are the, the, the administrative aspects of AI, of generative AI, right? If I can draft a letter or if I can have generative AI um, uh, document for me, um, obviously with some oversight, or if I can you, you know, reduce the number of clicks or number of um, documents and narrative that I have to provide, that's, that's huge for clinicians, right? And again, um, I think that the administrative aspects of generative AI have a lot of promise. I think where there's, and I, I think we're hearing it now, is there's on the clinical side, we should be thinking about there's a cautionary tale. Um, you know, it's the generative AI is doing great at um, the ability to find a single diagnosis or clinical pathway. But we know that patients' conditions are complex. And when you start to add that complexity, it kind of, it's falling a little bit short. It's getting there. But I think that, that we, that I think lots of opportunity on the clinical, on the administrative side, uh, jury's still out on the clinical application of generative AI. You know, we'll, um, we're gonna be closely watching the uh, executive order just recently released by the Biden administration, uh, see how they will be able to, you know, balance the, define the framework uh, for the responsible de deployment of AI while not stifling the innovation and the promise that um, it can bring to the, the healthcare industry. So you've had great track record over the last uh, decade with Exilus, and I'm wondering, you know, where do you go from here and how would you expect some of these use cases to evolve? Yeah, so like I said before, I think, you know, there we talked about the friction points, the lack of alignment, the, the, uh, the data, you know, um, data sharing challenges that the healthcare industry has. There are other friction points, like all across the patient's journey. And so if we think about where there's that um, uh, inefficiencies, lack of alignment, um, uh, those are areas that we'll tackle very similarly to how we've done our core business, right? So um, anytime, you know, if there's an interaction that happens between the payer and the provider that makes a determination as to uh, uh, the administrative aspects or the financial aspects of that patient, we want to be in the middle of that and help facilitate coordination uh, and collaboration between those entities. Great. Well, Joan Butters, CEO and co-founder of Exilus, thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Biz Podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.